Please turn with me in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We are continuing our studies in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul lists those fruit, as you'll see in your bulletin there in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But this morning we are going to be focusing on two of those fruit, kindness and goodness. And we will be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 32 to 36. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 to 36. Please give your attention to God's word. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. A couple of weeks ago, Ellen DeGeneres, the talk show host and heroine of the liberal progressives and LGBTQ movement in our country, found herself in hot water after a photo was splashed over the internet of her sitting next to George W. Bush and his wife, Laura, at a Dallas Cowboy Green Bay Packers football game. What was interesting to me in all the blowback that she endured after that is I don't remember hearing any criticism of George and Laura Bush for hanging out with Ellen DeGeneres, but Ellen DeGeneres was viciously, harshly criticized by her fans and supporters for hanging out with the Bushes. I respected and appreciated the way that Ellen responded a couple days later on her TV show. Quote, she said, here's the thing, I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. Later, she went on to say, when I say be kind to one another, I don't only mean the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. And then she went on to add, even to those people who are already playing Christmas music. Now, even though Ellen would be considered an enemy of the church in regard to her political views, her social views, and her religious views, I found her appeal for kindness to be very rare and refreshing in our cultural context. This is a very highly nasty, polarized, and acrimonious age that we live in. In our study of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as they are listed in Galatians 5, we come this morning to two of those fruit, kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. We're going to look at them together today instead of individually, 
Because these characteristics, as I dug into the, the usage of these terms in the scriptures, and particularly in the New Testament, they are so closely related in meaning to one another that they are used almost as synonyms, and they are often used interchangeably, even in the text that we're looking at today in Luke 6. The word, the Greek word for kindness that is in Galatians chapter 5 is, it has the same root as the word you find in verse 35 of Luke 6, where Jesus says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's the same word for kindness in Galatians 5 as is in chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. This kindness describes a compassionate heart to those who are in need around you, even to the undeserving. And the word that's used for goodness, the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, is the same word that you find here in Luke 6 in verse 3, verses 33 and 35, where Jesus says to do good. Now, the word good, we often use it in terms of moral goodness or righteousness, but the way that this Greek word is used for goodness more applies to doing good as the way Jesus uses it doing good works. And so the distinction that scripture seems to make between kindness and goodness is, I would put it this way, that kindness is a compassionate disposition towards those who are in need, no matter how undeserving they may be. That's kindness. And goodness are the acts of care and generosity that flow out of that disposition of kindness. So disposition, the disposition of the heart is kindness, and the, the caring, loving acts that are carried out because of that disposition are, is the goodness of the person that Jesus is referring to. In other words, a sentence I would give you to help give, to understand the distinction is that a kind heart expresses itself in doing good to all people. A kind heart expresses itself in doing good to all people. What Jesus is teaching here about these two interrelated fruit of the Holy Spirit is that the kindness and goodness of his disciples must be of a different character, a different nature, and of a greater magnitude than what you will see among those who aren't his disciples. The kind of goodness and kindness that you experience among the people of God must be significantly greater than what you will experience out there in the world. It must be different. That's why Paul calls these the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, these fruit exist because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, transforming us, changing our hearts and our minds so that we become like Christ in particular in relation to our kindness and goodness. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Those who don't know Christ do not have the Holy Spirit, therefore they cannot have the same kind of kindness and goodness that Jesus is talking about here. And that's really his point in this short passage. Let's look at the context first, because I think the context is important. You go back to verse 12, and what you see there is that Jesus has just chosen 12 of those people who have been listening to his teaching and following after him. He picks 12 of them to be his apostles. And then having formed the foundation of his church, then he begins to preach to the multitude, and he talks about what 
kingdom life is going to be like. He has come as the Messiah. He has come as the king. And in his kingdom, this is how his people will live. And he begins here with, a, as Luke records it, an abbreviated version of what Matthew 5 has in terms of the Beatitudes. These are the attitudes of those who are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he begins by saying that those who are blessed by God are those who will suffer poverty, hunger, weeping, and persecution. Let me read verse 22 to you. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. In other words, he's saying that if you follow me as your Lord and Savior, this fallen, rebellious world will ridicule you, will reject you, and you will suffer. That is the cross that his followers must be willing to bear. So how are we then to respond? How does Christ expect us to respond to this rejection, ridicule, and suffering for his name? He says in verse 27 and 28, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. We talk about hard sayings of Christ in Scripture. This is one of the hardest ones. That those who mistreat us, those who treat us unjustly, those who are our enemies, we are to do good to them, we're to bless them and pray for them. Jesus uses the Greek word there, agape, for love, which, as we know, means to love without conditions, to love without strings, to love sacrificially. And so once again, we see that the fruit of the Spirit are all ultimately based in and rooted in the very first fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5, which is the fruit of love. In other words, all the other fruit of the Spirit, as we said already, are expressions of that great lift, gift of love that, that the Holy Spirit has placed in our heart. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. Kindness is rooted in this unique love that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So then let's ask, answer the question according to what Jesus tells us here. What is the difference between kingdom kindness and goodness and the kind of kindness and goodness that you might experience out in the world. What's different about it? The first thing Jesus teaches is that our kindness and goodness must go far beyond reciprocity. Our goodness and kindness must go far beyond reciprocity. Jesus says here that anyone can be kind to others if that kindness is reciprocated. Anyone on earth is capable of that kind of kindness and goodness if it is going to be reciprocated. That's what he's saying in verses 32 to 34. He says, if you love those who love you, and if you do good to those who do good to you, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, even sinners do the same. Now, he's using the word, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, but he's not using the word in that broad sense. He's using it in the sense that the Jewish people used it in that day, which was those people that are openly rebellious to God, those who have rejected God, those who are living in open rebellion, or pagans. Those were the sinners in the eyes of the Jews in Jesus' day. 
People like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the false worshipers, the false religions of the day. Those are the sinners. Jesus said, out there in the world, they know how to be kind and good in that way. You know, we've been hearing a lot over the past few weeks an old Latin phrase that you've probably heard more in the last few weeks than you've ever heard it in your entire life put together. That phrase is quid pro quo. How many times have you heard about, heard about that? It's all about our president who made a phone call to the president of Ukraine, and the accusation is that he threatened to withhold military aid so that the president of Ukraine would start an investigation into the son of his political rival. That's the accusation. And it's called quid pro quo. Do you know what the Latin phrase means? Something for something. Something for something. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Something for something. The old cliche phrase we used to use is, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And that's the ethic that the world lives by. That's what you expect outside the walls of the church. It's an ethic based on reciprocity. If you're good and kind to me, I will reciprocate by being good and kind to you. And there's nothing supernatural about that. There's nothing spiritual about that. That's the way of the flesh. You'll find that same kind of kindness and goodness in the mafia. You'll find that same kind of kindness and goodness in gangs. You'll find it among the drug lords. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And Jesus says, in the church, among his followers, those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the kindness and goodness that is expressed must be far greater than that. Back probably 10, 12, 14 years ago, I don't know when it was, but we were living in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and the city of Philadelphia, its marketing department came out with a new catchphrase, a new tagline to sell the city of Philadelphia. That line went like this, Philadelphia, the city that loves you back. Quid pro quo. If you love the city, the city will love you back. I always noticed all the years I lived there, I noticed it never applied to professional, you know, applied actually very well to professional athletes. You know, you played well and you're a winner, they love you to death in Philadelphia, but boy, if you lose, get out of town. Quid pro quo. You see, what Jesus is doing here is guarding against a common misinterpretation back in his day, and certainly in our day as well, a common misinterpretation of that classic law that's given in the Old Testament law that we call the golden rule. He paraphrases it in verse 31, the verse before the section we read today. <clears throat> he says, and as you wish, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule. You know how people usually hear that. They usually hear that saying, be kind to others so that they'll be kind to you. Be kind to others so that they'll be kind to you. And that's exactly what he's not saying. You know what Jesus is saying, and he's clarifying it here. He's saying, be kind to others, period. Be kind to others 
And the key phrase in this entire section, this entire, the entire passage we read, is the key phrase is expecting nothing in return. Be kind and good to others, expecting nothing in return. In other words, instead of living by the world's ethic of quid pro quo, he's saying live by the kingdom ethic, which is quid pro nihilo. Something for nothing. Be kind and be good, even to your enemies. Being kind and good to anyone, especially to your enemies, what it means is putting their needs before your own. Looking to do good to them as God defines goodness. Sometimes being kind and good to your enemy, being kind and good to the undeserving, sometimes that means giving them exactly what they're demanding from you. Jesus gives an example of this in verse 29. When they demand your cloak, give them your tunic too. If that's what's truly good for them. But sometimes putting their needs before your own and giving them what God defines as good for them means giving them something they don't want. Something, maybe it's the opposite of what they want. For instance, when you as a parent discipline your children. None, no children, child wants to be disciplined, but you are loving them, you're being kind to them, you're being good to them by teaching them and training them through discipline. And so the question we have to train ourselves to act, if we are going to nurture this fruit of kindness and goodness in our lives, we need to be always in every situation, but especially when we're being mistreated, especially when we're being, being treated unjustly, especially when we're being hated and ridiculed and persecuted, is to always ask the question, what is good for this other person as God defines goodness? What can I do for, give to, respond to in this other person that would give them good in response to whatever they have done to me? That is the way of Christ. That's what he's teaching here. But you know, what's interesting is that Jesus says to expect nothing in return, but he seems to contradict himself right away, doesn't he? He says, expect nothing in return, verse 35, but then he seems to say the exact opposite, for great will be your reward. What does he mean by that? When he says, don't expect anything, when you're kind and good, even to your enemies in this world, don't expect anything good from them. Don't expect anything in return for them. Don't look for reciprocity in this world. Don't look for reward in this world. But he doesn't mean that there is no reward at all for being kind and good. What he's trying to teach us is that we must trust in God's reciprocity. In verses 32 to 34, Jesus keeps asking the question, what benefit is it to you if you, live, if you are kind and good like the world is kind and good? What benefit is it to you? What he's implying there is that you should be seeking benefit, but you're seeking the wrong kind of benefit by being kind and good the way that the world does it. Every action that we take, this is what John Piper taught me when I first read the book Desiring God, every action that we take, every choice that we make in this life is motivated by a desire for pleasure or reward. That's not wrong, that's just 
a truism. That's life. That's reality. Every choice you make, every action you take is motivated by a desire for pleasure or reward. What Jesus challenges us to consider is what reward are we seeking? What kind of reward are we looking for? Scripture in general, and Jesus in particular, speaks very often about rewards for faithful service to him, including being kind and being good even to our enemies. You remember, we spoke about the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that when we give our tithes or when we pray, we should do so in secret. Why? Because the Father in heaven who sees in secret will reward you. Scripture is full of promises of reward for covenant faithfulness because you go back to the Old Testament, you find out that those with whom God is in covenant, those who are a part of his covenant of grace, there are promised covenant blessings. Now we may receive those blessings in this life, and if you live a kind and good life, I think you can expect blessings in this life, but there's no guarantee. The world may respond to your kind and goodness with greater abuse. That may well happen. But God has never broken a promise, and his promise is that there is reward for faithful service to Christ once he has saved you. So he says in verse 35, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. That's a promise. And lest you think I'm misinterpreting what he said, skip down to verse 38. I know that sometimes when you get bored during a sermon, you start reading ahead, and maybe you've already read it. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. I don't think Jesus could be any more explicit. That not only when you live faithfully and you, you nurture this fruit of kindness and goodness in your life, you're going to receive reward. Matter of fact, that reward is going to be, it's like it presented like a big cup, like it's being shoved down in and, and, and being stomped on so you can get as much in there as possible. And even still, it's overflowing. That's how much blessing you'll receive in response to obeying him. But you know what? We don't even do it for that blessing, even though we expect that great reward and that's an incentive to us. The greatest blessing that comes from seeking to be kind and good is that we become like our Father in heaven. That we are drawn near to him and become like him. That is the greatest covenant blessing available to God's children. Verses 35 and 36. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I believe that Jesus is intentionally reminding his disciples that we can only come to God by grace. We can only be saved by grace. We can only become a part of this covenant community and become children of God by faith through grace alone. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And such were all of you. You were ungrateful. You were evil. You were lost in your sins. You were without hope in the darkness. And God chose you. And he sent his son to die for you. 
and he bore the penalty that your sins deserve on the cross and then was raised from the dead for your justification so that you would be reconciled to God. And then he sent his Holy Spirit into your heart to open your eyes to understand who Jesus Christ is and what the cross is all about so that you, by faith, could enter into his kingdom as a free act of his grace. You were ungrateful and evil. And Romans 5, verses 8 and 10 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Unless we miss the point, he goes on to say, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, it's the goodness and kindness of God that has brought us into a right relationship with him to begin with. We had nothing to offer him. We were his enemies. And in his kindness and goodness, he sent his son to reconcile us to himself. Now, what Jesus is saying here is not that being kind and good to others makes us children of God. You could misread it that way. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that when we are kind and good to others, even to our enemies, we are acting like God. And we're doing that because the Holy Spirit has made us his children. Children become like their parents because it is born into them to become like their parents, to be in the image of their parents. We are children of God who become like God because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so Jesus is saying that when we are kind and good, we are showing the world that we are the children of God. It's the same message that's in Matthew 25 where Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats where he pictures the great day of judgment when Jesus Christ will return and he will be on the throne. He will be judging all of mankind and he gives a picture of all mankind as being a gathering of sheep and goats. They were already sheep and goats when they come into the gathering. And how do you know the difference? Now, I could look at a sheep and a goat and I could tell the difference by looking at them but Jesus doesn't talk about physical appearance. He talks about whether the fruit of the spirit are there or not. Are they good and kind? Have they fed the hungry? Have they given drink to the thirsty? Have they clothed the naked? Have they visited the stranger and the prisoner? Are they kind and good? That's how you know if they've been born again of the Holy Spirit to be transformed, to be like the Father. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And as we look at the picture of Christ, as it comes together, as we look at the four Gospels, we see the only human being that was perfect in kindness and goodness every moment of his life. He came in the words of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to comfort all who are mourned. All of his miracles portrayed before the world that he would use his power to be kind and good to those in need who were undeserving. But think about it. This is the greatest reward, that we were blessed by sovereign grace to be reconciled to God through his son. God blessed us at his initiative without any conditions or, or responses on our part Totally by grace, he blessed us to make us his, his children through his son, Jesus Christ, so that 
we would become like him and bless others, even our enemies, so that we could be blessed for our obedience to his will. Now, I don't know a more abundant life than that. To be blessed by God's grace alone so that we can go out and bless others and be like him so that then we can then be rewarded for those acts of blessing to others. That's the covenant. The columnist for the Gospel Coalition, Trevin Wax, wrote an article a couple weeks ago about kindness. And in that article, he said this. He said, we are swimming upstream these days when we look for opportunities to show kindness. In a culture where bullying is confused with strength and where insults fly from so many elected officials as a sign of toughness, we might fall for the lie that showing kindness is the wimpy way of compromise. On the contrary, it is the strong person who can return good for evil, a blessing for a curse, and a compliment for an insult. This is the strength of the church. This is how we transform the world. It's by taking the gospel of grace by word and the deeds that reflect the kindness and goodness of Christ our Savior to the world. This is how we gain victory. Not by responding to the world's political might, its military might, its social might, not by re responding in kind, but by showing kindness and goodness to the undeserving, even to our enemies. In the book of Romans, Paul says in, verse, in chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But the way that we conquer is not the way the world conquers. The way that we win is by following this upside-down ethic that our Lord presents in the Sermon on the Mount, or as Paul puts it at the end of Romans chapter 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for buying into that lie that to respond to mistreatment and injustice and evil in kind is the way to show strength. Lord, help us more and more to understand this message that Jesus is teaching in this passage, that we overcome evil by good, by being kind and by being good, and therefore showing the world the very heart of God that has led him to save us by his grace alone. I pray, Lord, make us more than conquerors the way that Christ conquers. We pray in Christ's name, amen.